Go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're still going through the Sermon on the Mount. We started with the Beatitudes at the beginning of chapter 5, and Jesus says, blessed are those, blessed are the... And then we get into more practical teaching that Jesus has, a lot of which is, you have heard it said, but I tell you. And it's a pattern that Jesus uses to reflect on the law says and the law teaches. And then Jesus comes and gives the fulfillment and the explanation, the depth and the heart application of the law says, but then I tell you. So let's go to the Lord in prayer today. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who hears and understands. Lord, we are not such foolish people to cut down a tree, to craft an idol out of it, to burn some of the wood, to set idolatrous fires, to worship an idol that we craft with our own hands. Lord, we know that you are the one true God. There is none who compare. There is none who are like you. Throughout history, men have looked for idols, Lord, but there is none that compare to you. Lord, we ask today as we open your word that you would give us deficient people adequate understanding of who you are. Lord, we know that we are insufficient, but we know that you are sufficient. Lord, my notes are insufficient. My study is insufficient. Lord, you are the Lord of these people. You are my Lord. And I ask today that you would be faithful to your word. As your word goes out, may it be proclaimed accurately. May it not reside in our minds, but flow to our hearts and out of our hands. May we not know more about you, but lack understanding, having knowledge, but not wisdom, having knowledge, but not heart application, not having the action that follows what we know. Lord, I ask that through the Holy Spirit that these words would be uniquely crafted for each of your people, that you know them better than I do. And Lord, I ask that your word today would be sufficient for not only their needs, but also for their desires. Lord, we want to know who you are. We want to follow the teachings of Jesus. And Lord, we pray that through the Holy Spirit, you would do those things. You would give us knowledge of who you are, understanding of Jesus' teachings, that we might be Christians who follow Jesus in word and in action. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's read Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. 
Give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So Jesus here gives a series of teachings. You've heard that the law says, and then I tell you all of these things. So Jesus is contrasting the law's practical nature with what he is going to say is the heart application of understanding those things. But my question is, as we read through these things, don't resist an evildoer, let someone slap you on the other cheek, give more than someone demands of you, is why? Why not resist an evildoer? Why, if someone slaps you, to let them slap you again? Why, if someone wants to sue you and take your shirt, why give him your coat as well? Why do these things? They don't make sense, and they're impractical. And we're letting the wrong get away with it. We're letting the sinner do sinful things and continue in that sin. So why? As Jesus is teaching these things, we have Paul's understanding of what Jesus is teaching and then putting it into his own words that I want to read for you in 1 Corinthians 9. So this is Paul saying, although I am free, I'm free from all and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. To those who are without the law, like one without the law, though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ, to win those without the law. To the weak, I became weak in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that I may by every possible means save some. Why? Now I do all of this because of the gospel. Why allow someone to do these things to us? Why does Paul go out of his way to act a certain way, to behave a certain way, to become like someone he is not for the gospel? We're going to start with what Jesus teaches. And as we go through each of these, the reason why is for the gospel, that the gospel may go forth. Paul's, I do all of this because of the gospel, is the answer to the reason why. Let's look at verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And I could say that same thing today. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Everyone has heard that. It's called the law of retaliation. What you do to me, you deserve having done back to you. You steal my car, you owe me a car. We want that equality. We want there to be some sort of retaliation. And throughout history, we've seen that same thing as well. There would be a, a man who owns a tract of land and another man who owns the neighboring tract of land, but they're disputing on where the border is. And so one man says, well, 
my border goes an extra 50 feet. And the other man says, no, 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 my border goes 50 feet. And so this land in contention is owned by both of them. And then a goat wanders onto this land and the first man who owns the goat says, well, my goat is on my land. And the other guy says, no, my new goat is on my land. And they go back and forth. And then they start fighting. And so the man takes the goat as his new goat. And then the other man, having lost the goat, goes in the middle of the night and sets fire to his barn. And then the other man, knowing it was him, kills two of his goats. And they go back and forth and it escalates. And we have these generational blood feuds. And you've heard of the Hatfields and the McCoys. And there's generations that hate other families, and they don't even remember why. And so here's this law of retaliation that says exactly what we as humans want. We want revenge. We want a little bit more. We want to get even and punish someone. If we lose, they lose, and everybody loses, but we don't want anyone to get away with it. What this law is providing here, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, is a purpose for proportional punishment. Okay, if you do something, you can't have 10 times that done back to you. It tries to set the balance of what it means. If you steal a cow, you owe a cow, plus the penalty for being a thief. If you steal a cow, you can't go and be murdered because that's disproportionate to the crime. So an eye for an eye is trying to set that proportionality. What's interesting about this is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was never meant for individuals. It was never meant for individual retaliation. It was always meant for a judge or for an arbiter to have direction. The law was telling a judge to judge fairly. If someone steals something, don't go out and hang that guy because he stole a cow. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Have some restraint in what you're doing. More often this than not, historically, this was directional more than literal. So if someone did something and your hand got broke and it was unable to be used anymore, they wouldn't generally go and break the other guy's hand because that wouldn't benefit you. But they would say, well, your hand is worth 10 camels. And so that guy owes you 10 camels because he made it so you can't work. So a judge would look and say, well, 10 camels is a fair amount for your hand, so you owe him 10 camels. So an eye for an eye was meant to provide a proportionate amount of punishment, and a judge was the one who was supposed to execute that justice in this situation. So when I read this, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, what is our response to when we are wronged? I know that we tend to be quick to speak, quick to angry, quick to being righteous in our own eyes, quick to retaliate. We demand an eye for an eye. And more often than not, we demand our rights. These next couple verses, Jesus is going to challenge that. Look at verse 39. 
But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. So that do not resist an evildoer kind of sets the tone for each of the next few sentences. Don't resist an evildoer, but on the contrary. Don't resist an evildoer, but as for the one who wants to sue you. Don't resist an evildoer, but go two miles. So kind of resi don't resist that evildoer is what Jesus is talking about here. And he says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. I don't know if there's a more heard but less understood phrase in the New Testament. You'll hear unbelieving people say that all the time. Aren't you a Christian? Turn the other cheek. Not even really understanding what it means. And I think having a cultural understanding really helps to open our eyes to what that means. Culturally, when Jesus said this, they understood five layers of what he was saying. But we don't because we don't slap each other just as part of normal society. That was more normal for them to slap people. What Jesus is saying is, if you imagine if you're facing me and most people being right-handed and I were to slap you, I would slap you on the left cheek. You're facing me. It's the left side of your cheek. But what Jesus says is, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. What Jesus is saying is, if someone slaps you, a backhanded slap, on the right cheek, turn the other to them also. The difference between a front-handed slap and a backhanded slap to the Jews was a backhanded slap was an insult. This was just, I'm mad and I slapped you. This was, I'm mad and I slapped you, and I want you to be insulted. The rabbis taught that somebody who slaps someone has to pay a fine. Someone who backhandedly slaps someone has to double the fine because they slapped and insulted that person. So when Jesus says, if someone insults you, turn the other cheek also. If someone is willing to insult you, but I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. Jesus is teaching here that our obedience to God is more than just an equitable eye for an eye. If that person does something that is unjust to you, if that person slaps you, that the law is not only obeyed with the outward actions. The law, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, is obeyed in the heart. That when insulted, the obedient heart to God can accept an insult. When we're insulted, our pride tends to get in the way. And right when we're insulted, we back up, we get mad, we start to think about how it's not true and how I can insult in return, an eye for an eye. That's what we want to do. But Jesus is saying, put your pride away, accept an insult from an evildoer. The way that we respond to an insult shows where our heart is. The way that we respond to an insult shows who we follow. In Mark 15, speaking of Jesus, as those who passed by were yelling insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, ha, 
the one who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself by coming down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests with the scribes who are mocking him among themselves and saying, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross so that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him taunted him. Jesus, having been insulted, could have just killed them all. From the cross, he could have wiped everyone out, got down, healed himself, and just walked away. But Jesus accepted an insult. He put away his rights for revenge because his purpose is to bring good news to save sinners. Like Jesus, we must be willing to accept an insult for the gospel, that we are willing to turn the other cheek, to put away our pride, to put away our rights for revenge, to put away an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, even when it's deserved, and accept an insult for the gospel. The purpose that Jesus is teaching here is when it comes to the gospel, you need not retaliate. When it comes to the gospel, we can accept an insult. We're to give up our rights for revenge for the gospel, that the gospel might not be hindered, that when someone thinks of you, they think well of you because you represent Jesus. And when they think of Jesus, they think of you as a follower of him, and your life reflects well on Jesus. If you seek revenge, if you seek to retaliate, if you return insult for insult, that reflects on you and it reflects on Jesus. Because of my love for Jesus, I can give up my rights to seek revenge. In the 1950s and 60s, there was a man who lived in Harlem, and he was the leader of one of the most violent gangs in the 50s and 60s, known as the Harlem Lords. And during this time, this man who is at the top of the Harlem Lords, known himself for being overly violent, even by comparison to his gang, heard the gospel. He repented, he was saved, and it really kind of made a mess of his relationship with the gang. He still lived in Harlem, he still was in the neighborhood, his friends were all gang members, and he pulled away from the things that they did. And it was evidenced in one of their football games, which were as violent as they were, when he was carrying the ball and got tackled, and when he was on the ground, the man tackling him held his face down, punched him, kicked him, and insulted him. This man formerly would have just killed him there in the dirt field, but got up and went back to his huddle. 
After the game, he went to that man who had punched and kicked and insulted him and put his hand on his shoulder and said to him, you know, because of Jesus, I love you anyway. What Jesus is teaching here is for the gospel, except an insult. For the gospel, if they slap you on the right cheek and insult you, turn the other cheek also. Jesus is speaking in the context of the gospel that the gospel might go forth, that I can give up my rights to seek revenge so that the gospel would be put before my rights. Jesus continues in verse 40, says, as for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat also. In this culture, men had like an undershirt that was like a long, thin gown. They might have one or two of these, depending on how much money they had. And then they would have an outer coat, which was like a poncho. It was like a thick, long blanket that was valuable. Everybody had one of these outer coats and maybe a couple of the inner coats. And Jesus says, as for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, that's your inner shirt, let him have your coat as well. The coat, the outer coat was so valuable that they would use it as collateral. So if someone in ancient Israel was like, hey, can I borrow your truck? You're like, yeah, but leave your coat so I know you come back with the keys. And so it was an important thing. And the rabbis even said, you can't keep someone's coat overnight. If you use it to borrow, to barter as collateral, it has to be given back every night. They might freeze to death if they don't have their outer coat. That's how important it was. But notice here that Jesus says, if someone wants to sue you, this isn't even a court case that you've been sued and you lost. It's if someone wants to sue you. If someone wants to sue you, you willingly lose the lawsuit. And not only that, you give them what the lawsuit demanded, and then you give them more. Totally unfair. In every situation, it's unfair to give that. What Jesus is saying here is that the gospel is more important than my stuff. The gospel is more important than my things, than my possessions, than my assets, than my money, than my outer coat. The gospel is more important it's not fair, but Jesus isn't talking about what's fair. The law told you what was fair. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, Jesus says, so what is our attitude towards our possessions? I find it hard to be sued, to admit, even though I wasn't wrong, that I will lose this lawsuit, I'll pay what was required, and then I will pay more. I have a hard time with that. It's not right. It's wrong. And so I have a hard time with that. It's hard to sacrifice when it's not right and it's not something I choose to do. There was a man who once came to Jesus and he told Jesus, I'm a really good person. I do this and I did this and I did this and I obey the law and I, I do all the right things. And Jesus, looking at his heart, Mark 10, 
looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But he, the man, was dismayed by this demand and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. His outward life was well lived. His outward actions showed that he followed God. His outward works were good. And everybody around him would look at him and say, yes, this is a noble man. But Jesus looks at his heart and doesn't see all the actions. Jesus sees the greed. Jesus sees that his possessions were more important than anything else. What Jesus is saying here and in our text today is that the possessions are not what's important. People are more important than possessions. The gospel is more important than possessions. We are to give up our possessions for the gospel. If the gospel can go forth because of our possessions, then may the gospel go forth. If someone wants your shirt, give them your outer coat as well because you represent Jesus. Jesus continues in verse 41 with another example. He says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. And again, these things are so contextually relevant to their culture that it doesn't even make sense to us to walk a second mile with someone because, I mean, who walks a mile on purpose unless your car breaks down? And so Jesus is saying, but go one mile and a second mile. In the Roman culture that they were part of, a mile was about 1,000 paces. And the Romans measured paces by every time the left foot went down was one pace. So they would take a left step, a right step, a left step, and that was one. So when the Romans would conquer a new area, the soldiers would walk 1,000 paces, approximately a mile, and they would carve on a stick where they had come from, how many miles, and they would have mile markers. And so they would take that stick and push that stick in the ground as they were expanding their territory. And then they would come back later with a giant granite stone called a milestone, and they would engrave the emperor's name, and then it would have directions and how far it was to Rome or to the next place. And so they would use it as markers all around the empire as they were expanding the empire. And so what Jesus is saying here is, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. The Romans had another thing that they required of ordinary citizens. The Roman soldiers could come and press a citizen into service. So if you're just at home doing your thing and a Roman soldier comes and knocks on the door and says, hey, here's my pack and all my gear, I'm going that direction. You, as an ordinary citizen, were required to walk 1,000 paces with that soldier's gear. So common was this that citizens would go a mile in each direction from their house and mark it 
So they knew how far from my house was a thousand paces. So when I got the knock at the door and the guy's like, hey, it's heavy, I don't want to carry it. All right, fine. So I walk a thousand paces and I set it down. And then the citizen would walk back home and return to whatever he was doing. And so you can imagine Jesus here. He's talking to his disciples, the people that are following him. And Jesus is telling them, if someone forces you to go a mile, go too. And they, of course, think the Roman soldiers, because who else can force me to go a mile? So Jesus is saying, you know, you know it's said, it needs to be fair, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, and you imagine like Jesus has already told them like, hey, the kingdom of heaven is coming. The kingdom of God is coming. Are you ready for the kingdom of God? You hate the Romans. They're ruling over you and subjecting you to things you don't like. And the Jews are like, hey, we're waiting for a Messiah. We're waiting for someone to save us. And Jesus comes, he's like, well, the kingdom of God is coming. And they're like, yes, let's do that. And Jesus is like, okay, you ready? They're like, yes, we're definitely ready. And Jesus says, don't go one mile. And they all start cheering, like, we're not going a mile for the Romans. And Jesus is like, but instead go two. And they're like, Jesus, your kingdom is that? That's what we're supposed to do? We don't like this kingdom. We want the sword. Let's kill people with the sword. And Jesus is like, but my kingdom is sacrificial. My kingdom goes beyond the unexpected. My kingdom does for someone what they don't deserve. If someone forces you to go a mile, go two. What Jesus is telling them was not what they expected, but that's often what Jesus is saying, is what's not expected. Now imagine a Christian gets a knock at the door, and the Roman soldier just sets down his pack and starts walking. So the Christian picks it up and starts walking, and they get to the marker, and the Roman soldier goes to reach for it, and the Christian's like, no, I got it, I'll carry it another mile. And the Roman soldier just stands there because... Why? And that's literally never happened in his whole life that someone would willingly do something for the people that are subjecting them to going a mile in the first place. It's not fair. It's not fair for us to give up our rights and do what we shouldn't have to do. And also notice that the principle here is not to walk two miles and then just set it down. The principle that Jesus is teaching is that we are to give up our rights to self. If we, instead of going one mile, go two miles, we just have a different form of legalism. It's just legalism that says, okay, I'll go two miles and then set it down and then turn and walk away frustrated. What Jesus is saying is give up our personal rights. The only person that benefits is the other but we give up our personal rights for the gospel. It's no good to carry it two miles unwillingly and then turn and walk home. We do that for the gospel that we might sacrifice our personal rights. Peter, speaking of Jesus, gives an example. He says, he himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree 
so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. Jesus was willing to go the extra mile. Jesus was willing to give up his personal rights for the gospel. And in the same way, we are to give up our personal rights for the gospel. Give up our rights to self. You probably remember in the gospels, there's a man named Simon from Cyrene. And Simon was coming in from the country into the city one day. And it happened to be on the same day that Jesus was being crucified. And Jesus was being forced to carry his cross. And it was probably the cross beam, 100 plus pounds, having been beaten and tortured. Now Jesus' physical body is failing him and he's trying to carry his cross. And he can't. So the Roman soldiers see some random guy walking in and they grab Simon from Cyrene and press him into service. And they tell Simon from Cyrene, pick up the cross and carry it. Just like Jesus is saying. He's being forced to go a mile. And Simon from Cyrene is mentioned in, I think, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In Mark 15, I think 21, it says, Simon from Cyrene was forced to carry his cross. It lists who he is, Simon, and just not to get confused, he's a man from Cyrene. And then Mark also says, he's the father of Alexander and Rufus. Mark is saying, this specific man happened to be coming in from the country walked by Jesus, got grabbed by a soldier, thrown under the cross, and carried it to Golgotha. You know Simon from Cyrene, Mark is saying. It's Alexander and Rufus's dad. Why would Mark tell the church who Simon is, who his kids are, if they weren't part of the church, if they weren't known by the church? Later in Romans, Paul says, greet Rufus, probably the same man. Simon was forced into service and somehow through that process, Simon is known to the church, Alexander is known to the church, Rufus is known to the church. And I can only imagine that Cyrene car or Simon carried the cross and saw what happened. And Jesus is saying, years before that, if someone forces you to go a mile, go too. For the gospel, that the gospel might go forth. Simon unknowingly carried his own gospel message to see Jesus on the cross. Jesus continues in verse 42, give to the one who asks of you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So Jesus again here is teaching about expectations. And Jesus is teaching not to ask, what's in it for me? If someone asks to borrow from me and I turn away, I'm saying, what's in it for me? Nothing. So I'm not going to give to the one who asks because there's nothing in it for me. This kind of kindness and generosity is unexpected. 
Jesus isn't giving conditions for it. If the person can pay you back, then you should lend to them with the hope they'll pay you back. It's just what someone asks of you. Don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Don't ask what's in it for me. Look at Luke 6. Jesus says, if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is it to you? If you lend to someone and expect to get paid back, who cares? Even sinners lend to sinners to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do what is good, and lend expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great. What's in it for me? Nothing. Nothing. Lend to those who ask of you, and there's nothing in it for you. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, that's fair. That's lending with an expectation of getting paid. But I tell you, give up your expectations of getting a return. Give up your expectations of getting a reward on earth. Then, and only then, your reward will be great. It's unfair on earth to lend and not get repaid. It's unfair on earth. And if we lived only for what was fair on earth, we should absolutely demand our rights. We should demand interest. We should demand to get repaid if we live for what's fair on earth. But we don't live for what's fair on earth. I consider that Jesus, as he was speaking these words, had the cross in mind. He knew that his whole life was moving towards the cross. If Jesus, speaking these words, was saying, don't think about what's in it for me, and then goes to the cross, but himself was thinking, well, what's in it for me? Why am I going to the cross? I'm going to save Brandon? That's not fair. My life for Brandon's life? Not a fair trade. If Jesus weighed his life against your life, that's not a fair trade. If Jesus said, what's in it for me? We all lose. We all lose because there's nothing that we could offer that would be a fair exchange for what Jesus was offering us. So Jesus is saying, don't ask what's in it for me, and I'll show you that I also will not ask what's in it for me. There are two men in our church who both serve on the Men of Integrity board. And I was talking to both of them a couple weeks ago, and the same similar conversation came up. And I said, so what do you do with all the, the money that you get paid from the Men of Integrity? Which, of course, they both volunteer, and neither one gets paid. And so one of them said, oh, I, you know, I, I haven't received my check yet. And I said, no, I figured they would just, you know, mail them out all the time. He's like, no, 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 my, my check's waiting. It's in heaven. His reward for serving was not a reward on earth. There was no thought of what's in it for me. There's no notoriety. There's no payment. It's definitely not fair that they give time and energy and their own resources and receive nothing in return. but we don't live for what we have on earth. We are to give up our rights to fairness for the gospel. Because of their volunteering and the volunteering of many other people, every year 
the men of integrity puts on a retreat. Every year, unbelieving men go to the retreat for the first time. Every single year, unbelieving men hear the gospel preached for the very first time. And every single year, unbelieving men, having gone to the retreat and heard the gospel preached, repent of their sins. They believe in Jesus for the first time. Their sins are forgiven. They have a new home in heaven. They have a hope that goes beyond what they have now and is eternal. Because men volunteer. Because they say, not what's in it for me, but what can I do for the Lord? It's not fair. I'm never going to get paid back. But for the gospel, I'm willing to give up my rights. As Jesus is saying these things from verse 39, 40, 41, and 42, they're all morally wrong things. They're, they're ethically wrong. In every culture, in every context, we would say, is it right to slap someone on the cheek? Is it right to give your shirt to one who doesn't deserve it? Is it right to go two miles when you don't have to? Is it right to give to someone who's not going to pay you back? The answer is no. It's not right. But are those even the right questions to ask? See, I don't think, is it right is the correct question. I don't think we should be asking, is it right or wrong? Because we're overly focused on right and wrong. We're overly focused on our own rights. I don't want my personal rights violated. We always think about what's right and wrong. We want the innocent man to go free. We want the guilty man to be punished. When we are wronged, we demand it be made right. But Jesus is saying, what if demanding a wrong be made right was in itself wrong? What if demanding for something to be made right was wrong? You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, Jesus says, but I tell you, I think the question that we should ask is, being right enough. Am I content with being right? See, in this passage, I perceive the people who are doing the wrong thing to be sinners. The one that slaps you, a sinner. The one who sues you, a sinner. The one that forces you to go a mile, a sinner. The one who won't repay you, a sinner. Am I okay with just my rights? Am I okay with taking these sinners and saying, give me what is rightfully mine? If our hope and our focus is on this life alone, I would say yes. Be content with demanding and getting your rights. Paul says in Philippians, as citizens of heaven, Live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. If we're citizens of earth and our hope is on earth, then go and demand your rights. 
if we're citizens of heaven, then instead live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. The gospel is more important than our rights to revenge. The gospel is more important than our possessions. It's more important than our rights to self. It's more important than our rights to fairness. The gospel of Jesus is more important than our rights. The gospel is more important. As Christians, right and wrong isn't our standard. Jesus is not saying, make sure every right is, every wrong is righted. Fight for your rights, demand your rights. What Jesus is saying is, standard is different. An eye for an eye, that's the way that people live. But I tell you, your standard is not an eye for an eye. Your standard is Jesus. Your standard is the cross. Do my actions point people to Jesus? Does the way I live, does turning the other cheek, does giving someone more than they deserve, does going the extra mile, does giving and lending without interest and expecting to be paid back, does that point to Jesus? Because if so, turn the other cheek. If so, for the gospel, be willing to give up your rights. Am I willing to give up my rights for the gospel? That's what Jesus is saying. You've heard it said, but I tell you, don't be concerned with your rights, but be concerned with the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would break in us our rights. Lord, we guard our rights, we protect our rights. Lord, I pray that for the gospel that we would put those aside, that we would see Jesus on the cross having given up his rights and follow suit. Lord, may we be convicted of where we demand our rights. Lord, may we accept an insult. May we give of our possessions. May we lay down our selfish pride. Lord, give us the heart that Jesus had as he laid down his rights for us on the cross. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.